Hi, I'm Dominique Lazansky. I'm a consultant. I'm an expert in cybersecurity and internet governance policy, and I work on technical standards. Technology, which should be neutral, right, has become very political. I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Hi, Dominique. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah. Hi. How are you? I am doing well, and I'm really looking forward to to talking with you more about internet standards, particularly international internet standards, um, which is a big topic, but we're going to do our best to hit some of, of the high points. But before we do that, I have to ask you my headlining always ask question, which is what is an example of a time in which being a woman has empowered you? So this is a, always a great question for um, technology and telecommunications and internet industry, because so many, even to this day, even in I'm sort of mid-career, most of my colleagues are men. Um, and, and traditionally that's been the way before the dawn of time, engineers tend to be male, um, you know, less so now, but still with STEM and, and various other types of things, at least in the UK, lots of activities and stuff. But basically it's, um, it's still a big, you know, primarily dominated uh, by men, um, both in government as well as in industry and technology. So, I, I mean, the answer to this is almost like literally every day <laughs> I am the one woman in the room with more degrees than most of the men usually and and you know more experience and random experience like I you know I joined Yahoo for example in the in the uh, early 90s when they it was a startup and so I have this very longitudinal experience that I can draw upon and because of that and because I'm always the one woman in the room <laughs> it does help in the sense that like, I, I feel like a, the people that are on my side that are supportive of me always make sure that my voice is heard, even though I, I'm quite loud anyway. But on the flip side, I will say it's been really challenging, if you don't mind me going into this a bit, it's been really challenging um, in standards organizations. There's a sort of cliche type of engineer who goes and does standards. And um, that cliche is, is actually real in a lot of ways. And as more and more women, especially women much smarter than me who are participating in standards organizations, sometimes it's a real challenge to, to get in, to, to be integrated. The Internet uh, Engineering Task Force, which is a, an internet standards I would say organization, very, it's a very bottom up, very spontaneous organization, um, has a program called SISTERS, S-Y-S-T-E-R, S and it's a mailing list and everything. And, and when we meet in person, we have, um, there's always an organized lunch. So it's really good because I've drawn upon them for support and for challenges that I've faced. So that's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> well, it might be a short question, but it's a very loaded question. And, and I knew that when I came up with the question. I mean, it was supposed to be very open-ended and thank you for adding some of the challenges, you know, and not just focusing on, on the empowerment aspect. Okay. So last year you with, with co-writers published an essay called 
standardizing the splinter net, how China's technical standards could fragment the internet, which is a great title. As a journalist, I respect that, <laughs> that title. <laughs> so I wanted to start by having you like help me understand what exactly a decentralized internet infrastructure is, but then how that factors into China's larger internet and technology strategy. Sure. So we might, um, or your listeners, uh, or you uh, all might have heard about um, a lot of the different international issues going on with Huawei and, you know, the US and China and the UK and Europe. And so, so really technology, which should be neutral, right, has become very political, very geopolitical. And so, so I say that because we really need to have that perspective when we talk about this, which is, is a big shift for a lot of people and a huge shift for engineers, especially because engineers are like, I'm just making stuff that works like the internet, it works, you know, and we're making things that work. And, and an example, it's, it's a bit uh, maybe perhaps overspoken about, but, but what happened during COVID, at least here, we had probably a bit more of a hardcore lockdown than in the US, but the infrastructure, the internet survived, right? And did really well because it is decentralized and resilient. So what that means is like, for example, let's say I'm sending an email to you and it's going through a certain way and then something breaks on that way, it can automatically reroute to you because it's not an end-to-end thing. It's not like a telephone call, right? Which has like one, literally one way it can get to you. But it's very decentralized. And I mean, now we're making calls over, you know, data over the internet anyway. If something happens on the way in transit, the, the data is going to be able to go a different way, reroute. That's how it was designed. Obviously, big players like Google and Facebook have all made huge investments over many, many years to, to make sure that the capacity has held. So that's the decentralization in a, in a very, very, very top level way. Um, technically, there's all different, very complicated ways it works, but we're not going to go into that. So one thing about the ideological um, approach to technology is that the approach to technology that China and other countries have that are not democratic versus like democratic countries? We'll leave we'll leave it in in those terms for the for the time being. So China has a very top down governance model, right? So so when we talk about issues with China, we we're really talking about issues with President now and the and the Communist Party and the ruling party, and that's a very top down approach. And they've even restructured internally the ministries and things to have that very centralized approach. That ideology is coming through in their approaches to how they want technology to work, right? So very top down. One example I give is like Bitcoin, you know, blockchain technology. It's supposed to be also decentralized and you're also not able to access it if you're like a third party. Well, well, China's approach to that, the Chinese government's approach is to have a third party access, right? So the government can see what's in a particular uh, Bitcoin or, or blockchain. So I kind of, you know, kind of think about how the internet has um, developed in, in terms of like in the US, like um, governance is very localized. It's very decentralized. You know, I, I think about the small towns that my family are, are, you know, living in, you know, you've got the local sheriff or you've got the local mayor and everybody knows everybody. And it's very much, they make those decisions on that level. And that's kind of how the internet works. Routing works on a very local level. 
that's the comparison. And, and China really wants to move towards a, a situation where they're able to guarantee the routing of the traffic, like, like old school telephones, guaranteeing that they can always make sure they know where the data is, which doesn't work in today's you know, economy because there's a single point of failure. So that's very technical, but I hope it's not too technical. <laughs> well, it is a tech podcast where people <laughs> explain True. technology to me. So I think it fits the bill. And I do want to talk a little bit more about some of the, you know, the implications of all of this. But first, I want to ask kind of the inevitable question because of who my listeners tend to be, but how does 5G fit into this larger conversation around internet and technology standards? And what has to change in that field or has already changed now that 5G has arrived? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a great question. So this is my opinion and my, my sort of approach on 5G, right? So the biggest game changer for 5G is going to be for businesses, not for our, you and me. I mean, yeah, we're going to be able to see video really quickly or, I, you know, it's going to be, you'll be able to see an upgrade, right? But honestly, 5G and the way that the networks are created and the way that um, the investment has gone, it's the game changer is at the edge of the network and you can take different parts of the network um, and create it in a way where you can have a lot of, uh, you know, sort of internets almost, or different types of networks that are, you know, great for like an Amazon procurement place, for example. Um, so they can segment off a network and have like AI and have like mach autonomous machines and things like that. Okay, not, you and I are not gonna see that on a day-to-day -day basis but we're gonna be beneficiaries of it, right? So it's kind of like looking at the supply chain um, and in terms of how technology enables the supply chain. Great. So if you have a decentralized network and you have 5G, everyone's using 5G, pretty much no one uses a landline anymore. I mean, except for maybe recording podcasts or watching videos at home, but honestly you see everyone on your phone, right? On day to day. You make calls over WhatsApp or some other data, you know, you're using the internet, so to speak, on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, effectively, businesses are going to create their own little internets, right? So they can manage their own segment of it. So if it's decentralized, if it's built in a decentralized way, as I just talked about with COVID, you're going to have resilience and redundancies. So if there's, let's say, um, an outside attack, hacking attack or DDoS or something, some sort of attack on a network in a in you know in an Amazon procurement facility, you know that they'll be able there'll be resilience enough to be able to use different parts of the network. Again, if you have 5G and if you have a network design that's guaranteed end to end, that resilience goes away even in 5G. So from a standards perspective, most people don't know this, but like 3G, 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G, future G, whatever, 6G, which isn't really a thing, but uh, people are calling it that, is made through standards organizations, specifically 3GPP or the third generation partnership. That requires a lot of negotiation, has governments, has private sector, has ecosystem players, people that use switches, all that. They all come together. They're trying to sell each other things, obviously, but they're trying to negotiate. The bottom line is at the end of the day, they want to make sure that everything's interoperable, right? So you can't, you can't create a network that's not interoperable. It makes no sense. The other thing that's uh, happening with China is they have 
so many people and so many, uh, what I would say is bodies, literally able to go to standards organizations that they can really push their agenda and the, you know, really kind of say, okay, we're going to do this technology and we're going to shop it at different standards organizations. But the West, democratic societies, I would say Europe, you know, US, Canada, they let industry drive standards because it's, it's used, it's adopted. Um, less democratic countries want certain things to be adopted because they're going to use them for like surveillance and things like that as a very basic sort of um, example. So, you know, the U.S., for example, they're not going to like, yeah, they'll have government people go to standards organizations, but they're not going to have them, you know, they work with industry, they work with researchers, they work with different organizations, whereas in China, it typically they tell, you know, the government and the committees that approve certain technologies tell what they need to do. Um, so it's a very different, again, ideological approach. It comes back to international relations and sort of, you know, ideologies of different governments and different countries. So 5G has been such a big fight because a lot of like the US in particular, you know, has sanctions now on companies that I see participating in standards organizations that I work in. And, um, and that's a real big challenge now because you're gonna get technologies that might potentially be adopted in, in de developing countries, for example. I want to talk about this issue in a slightly different angle, less technical, but I wanted to ask you about some of the human rights implications, because I know you mentioned surveillance. Is privacy baked into a standard, right? Or trust or security, or what does that mean? So, um, so yeah, this is a fantastic example. There was an FT article, um, I think it was early last year. It's all blurring together with COVID <laughs> over the last couple of years, I'm sorry, about how, Effectively, um, there was a company uh, that's, that created surveillance from China that creates surveillance uh, algorithms and, and software and technology that's being used in, um, in Western China for uh, Uyghur camps. We'll just leave it at that. And I realized, I made the connection and realized that the technology was you know being done by this company that was on the sanctions list and then it went from there it's like if you don't if you even take your eye off of one segment of things this is the kind of stuff that happens i think the real question that people ask me is like so what so it becomes a standard so what so china's adopted it you know and and china has that line the, the government has that line that says well you know don't bother us these are our internal affairs kinds of thing right but what happens is and China's really good at doing this. If you have a standard adopted in an organization, a UN agency or an organization recognized by the World Trade Organization, then that technology doesn't come under um, trade barriers. So what does that mean? That's really interesting, right? The other thing is, a huge international multilateral organization, a lot of countries just adopt the standards, just put it into their legislation or frameworks, right? Especially if you're a smaller country, especially if you're a developing country, you know, it's easier to do that and say, okay, so the WTO approves all this, we're just putting it in, right? So you have a company doing surveillance and that suddenly becomes like a standard, then a company picks it up in another country, you know, that's massive, right? 
someone said to me, and I always get this question, it's like, so, okay, so what's the difference between what the NSA is doing and what China is doing? And I said, well, we are having a conversation. We have legal due process. We're having that. We have people that are keeping people on tabs. We're having a multi-stakeholder conversation. And that's not true in China. Yeah, uh, it's, it's very fascinating, um, but also, you know, very important <laughs> to be it's having scary. These <laughs> yeah. yeah but it's about health and welfare it's about all of that stuff you know social it's about climate change it's about everything it's amazing if you think about it and uh you know a lot of people don't have access to that and that's right now with everything going on um that's kind of really strange if you think about it yeah technology is a weird thing because in some cases, technology is sort of like a luxury, like mm. a very fancy laptop or the latest iPhone or a Nest thermostat. But also in other ways, technology has become a human right access yeah. to technology because it's become so central to the way that we live, live our lives. And it's this weird thing where it's like, how can we ensure that people are getting just enough access to the technology that improves their wellness, improves their health, their ability to read the news, but also yeah. understand that like not everyone needs access to the to the latest, you know, hot right. tech. You know, technology <laughs> is so all encompassing yeah. at this point. Well, <laughs> this was uh, really great. So I really appreciate you taking the time to speak. Sure, it's been yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah, it has been fun. It's like just chatting. It's great. <laughs> Well Technically is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com.